This morning we're going to be blessed with observing several baptisms together. And after this message, we're going to invite those who are going to be baptized to come up here on the front rows and to sit here. And after they give their testimony, they're going to have to go and get their swimsuits on. And then after all of those testimonies, we'll have one last closing song together and we'll go out the foyer and you'll see the hot tub, which is where everyone will be baptized there. Baptism is an ordinance that God has given us and not a sacrament. It's something that he's ordered us to do to give a picture of the salvation which he gives, not a sacrament in order to earn or achieve that salvation. And in giving us the observance of water baptism within the church, God has given us what we call a means of grace. It's a way for us to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, just like we do every Sunday or just like we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's a time to be in remembrance of his salvation, the significance of his death and his resurrection. And we're going to hear multiple testimonies of the death and resurrection of Jesus. People who are going to proclaim that they once, they once lived dead to Christ, but now they're dead to living in the sin in which they once did. People who will proclaim that though they were alive, that they have now been raised by Christ into a newness of life. We will hear people testify of the amazing grace, that grace that redeemed them from a slavery of sin and death as their master, and grace that redeemed them to a slavery of righteousness and Jesus as their new gracious master. Baptism is an often confused topic. Some confuse baptism into Christ Jesus with baptism into water. Baptism into Christ Jesus is something that only the Holy Spirit can do. And that's what we heard about read in Romans 6 this morning. Water baptism is merely meant to be a picture of that reality of what Jesus has already done. But that picture fails if there's no reality to take a picture of. New life in Christ happens first then the obedient saint follows through with a reenactment of their spiritual burial and resurrection into Christ Jesus. This week in anticipating these baptism testimonies, the Lord greatly encouraged you know, my own heart and remembering how the Lord had taught me and sought me and bought me. I remember being confused about baptism when I was younger. Around the age of 10, I was baptized in a small Methodist church where I said yes to a few questions and then some water was sprinkled on me. The reality of the situation was this. My younger cousin had got baptized before me and I couldn't have somebody who was younger than me escaping hell faster than me. Combined with this, I had a very accusing conscience. I would often ask God to forgive me after cussing on the playground right after I did it, 
just in case I died that day and had to stand before him then. I thought that baptism would make the guilty feelings go away and that it would keep me out of a bad place. I just wanted a couple of things for myself out of the whole deal, but Jesus wasn't one of them. In reality, I was confused into thinking that water baptism could do for my conscience what only Jesus could do. In 1 Peter 3.21, it says this, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here you see when Peter talks about baptism, he's explaining that the baptism that saves you isn't an external washing. An external washing can't cleanse the internal conscience. The baptism that saves somebody isn't through water, but it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I really needed back when I was younger was to be dead to my way of living and resurrected to Jesus' way of living. This would be something that would happen 14 years later when I was 24, newly married, and with my first child on the way. And I remember seeing a truly baptized man during this time. He was my supervisor at work. His name was Dave, and his godliness was undeniable, which made my godlessness undeniable. This man didn't live for himself. He lived for Jesus. And in seeing his life, this time I wasn't jealous over my cousin's water baptism, but I was jealous for this man's immersion into living Christ. And he encouraged me to read the Bible for myself and to listen to a preacher who preached through whole books in the Bible. And I began doing this largely out of respect for the man. And as I did this, the word of God set my conscience ablaze. For a few months, I was under heavy conviction of my sin and became convinced that God was going to glorify himself by sending me to hell forever And the angels and saints would sing hallelujah over the event, and all I would do is bow my head in agreement. But a day came when this sinner was baptized into Christ Jesus. The old things were gone, and new things had come. A drunkard became sober-minded. A liar, a truth-tiller, and a coward became bold for Jesus. The Lord granted true repentance one night. And I was born again a new man. And the road ahead was narrow, it was rough, but I had a rock that I was standing on now. And I wanted everybody to know. So I started calling my old friends to let them know. And some of them were shocked. They said, well, you've always been a Christian. I said, no, I wasn't. I never repented. Remember how I did this sin and this sin? Well, now I'm free of those things. But others were silent, and they just kind of quit talking to me, which really tested my commitment to the narrow road that I was on, which I came to know that it leads to life. And over time, I found myself in a Reformed church where I would quickly find out the difference between Presbyterians and Baptists when I inquired about baptism. 
at this Reformed Presbyterian church, I explained to the pastor how I had just become a Christian, and I just read this story of this Ethiopian eunuch who went down into the water to be baptized. I told him, I want to do that. I want to give testimony to Christ's saving work in my life and go into the water. And after looking around this room, which was an undecorated white rectangle, while we sat on hard metal folding chairs, I asked this pastor, so where do you baptize people? Do you go to a pool or do you go to one of the rivers here or a reservoir? What do you do? He said, do you see that picture on the stage? I told him, I can't fit in that. <laughs> he explained, well, there's different modes of baptism. I explained, I want to do burial mode. He he said, well, you need to understand that the mode of sprinkling goes all the way back to Moses when he sprinkled the Levitical priest. I told him, I don't want to become a Levitical priest. I just want to tell people that I'm a Christian now. I want to be baptized the same way the Ethiopian eunuch was who went down into the water. Well, long story short, we ended up on good terms, but I had to call a Baptist who was a man who lived in Texas. He was the man who officiated Rachel and I's wedding, and he was a chaplain at an at-risk youth facility where Rachel and I both used to work at. And I explained to him how when we got married, I wasn't really a Christian then, and how God had given me true repentance and faith, and it was being seen in the fruit of my life, and that my understanding of baptism was that I was to be buried in the water and I asked for his counsel in what to do. And he affirmed that my thinking on baptism was correct. And he offered to baptize me in a horse trough in the middle of winter and asked if I would play some music for the kids during the chapel service. I said yes, and I got baptized in front of a bunch of kids. And I thought that that water trough and that West Texas winter might truly prove to be my grave. <laughs> so what was it that happened from you know, my first baptism to my second? Well, instead of wanting to obtain a clean conscience, I showed up with one. Instead of wanting to escape hell, I wanted to pursue Jesus. The reality of the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus was missing until the law taught me that I was a transgressor. Yeah, I recognized that the law couldn't save me, but grace took reign over my life through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, as we heard read about in Romans 6, which is exactly what Paul is talking about there, the reality of the death and resurrection of Christ seen in somebody's life before the picture of water baptism. Now, you'll probably recall through Romans 6 how when Paul talks about baptism, no water is mentioned. No water is involved in this baptism, which he's talking about. And he explains how it's a baptism into Christ's death. It's an immersion into Christ's death, which translates into a life lived dead to sin. He explains how baptism is, it's an, a baptism into Christ's resurrection. It's an immersion into being raised into walking in a new way of life. And when he talks about 
grace, he doesn't talk about it as an excuse for sin or an okay for some of it, but he talks about grace as power. Grace is power to overcome sin. And that grace is displayed when somebody is baptized into Jesus, they're dead to sin. They're free from it. They don't have to live in it. Uh, They don't only have a new relationship with the Savior, they have a new relationship with sin. They hate it. They don't want to live in it. And they have a new ability to obey Jesus now, and they want to. Just as Rick was mentioning earlier, in salvation, God fixes our chooser. It is true that grace is unmerited favor, but we don't want to neglect that it is also power to obey God. I want you to listen for these concepts as we reread back through Romans 5.20 to 6.23. Picking up in 5.20. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart, that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. 
I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of The gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see here that as Paul turns from talking about the reality of baptism into Jesus Christ and his life, which is also described as eternal life in Scripture, turns into an exhortation to the baptized in Continuing to fear God by forsaking sin and following after the Lord who has enslaved them to himself as their new and gracious master. For those of you being baptized today, because you've already been baptized into Christ Jesus, I want to exhort you as this text here exhorts those who have been baptized into Christ. Keep pursuing growing in the grace which gives you power over sin. Present your whole person in pursuit of the righteousness of God as somebody who is now alive from the dead. Know that grace not only makes you right with God, but it also gives you the power to walk right with God. Keep pursuing growing in the knowledge of God especially the doctrine of Christ, because he is the image of God, and the sight of him is what conforms you to him. When you see him and how he walked, you learn to walk like him. And know that the law cannot conform you to Christ. Not, now that you're saved, the law doesn't make you a better Christian. It's Christ who helps you to grow in him. And The law cannot do what Christ alone can do. Water baptism also cannot conform you to Christ. Only Christ can conform you to Christ. Your Christian life begins with him, continues in him, and is the end and goal. He's everything. Also, study the doctrine of sin. Study the doctrine of sin so that you might not be deceived by obeying its lust. Learn not only what the narrow path looks like, but also how to recognize a ditch when you see one. As you grow in holiness, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to have a heightened sense of your sinfulness. And don't be given to despair, but to thankfulness that God saved you from more than you had actually realized from the start of it. And be careful to guard time in prayer, both alone and with other believers. Without it, you're a soldier without armor, unprepared to live in this present evil age. 
You need the joy, protection, provision, and guidance that comes through prayer. And as the bluegrass band, the gospel plowboys put it, are you praying hard or are you hardly praying? Be concerned for your soul when prayer is waning in your life because it shows that you're trusting in something else more than Jesus, that you're delighting in other things more than Jesus. But when you recognize this failure in your life, don't be slow to come back to the throne of grace. Jesus isn't some stern drill sergeant. He's the God of grace. He's the rest giver. Be much in reading good Christian books, especially the book that God has given us, which all the other books should be rightly handling. Many things in your life are going to compete for your time, your attention, and your devotion. May God give you the steadfastness of spirit to not forsake prayer and the word, a steadfastness of spirit which doesn't buckle under the pressures of I need to get this done and the sense of there's all these other priorities and things that have to be cared for. I don't know if I have time for that today. Don't give in to lesser priorities. Be committed to the one who has redeemed you. And be devoted to the fellowship with other believers, which is going to involve giving up other things in life things which are permissible and lawful, even good things. But remember, in giving up those things, you don't lose anything. You're going to live again. In losing your life, you will gain it. You have been saved into a family. Here in seeing the ordinance of water baptism, we're reminded that God the Father has already signed your adoption certificate. And that you've been made one with us in this family. That you're a member of the body of Christ. And your health is the whole body's health. And your weakness is the whole body's weakness. Your strengths, your burdens are all ours. And lastly, obey Christ. This is a freedom that you didn't have when you were a slave to sin. But now Romans 6.22 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit, leading to sanctification and the end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why you're here today, to be baptized, because your desire is to obey Christ and to answer the questions of the old song, were you there when they laid him in the tomb? You can answer with yes. When Christ died, I died to my life of sin. And the other question of the old song, were you there when he rose up from the dead? Now you can say yes. I was raised to a new way of life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now at this point, we're going to have those of you who are going to be baptized to come up here on the, the front rows. 
the, the first person to come and give their testimony is Maria. And after that, she'll be directed and who's following. And as you give your testimony, you can come down and be get prepared to enter into the waters of baptism. And you can adjust this microphone however you need to when you get up here. <laughs> All right, Maria. I didn't think I was going to be nervous, but I am. I'm here today before you, giving a public declaration of my commitment to follow Christ, Jesus Christ. Things were not always this way. I was raised as a Catholic in a very large family in Mexico. I was raised in this religion and was thought that any other religion was a cult. I was baptized Catholic confirmed Catholic, took my first communion, and I was married in the Catholic Church. I was told that if I did these things and I tried to live a good life, I would be safe. As long as I, as faith, as I faithfully confessed my sins to the priest and had last rites, I believed and practiced these things into my early 20s but eventually turned away from, my, from Catholicism empty and disillusioned by sin in the church. After immigrating to the United States to take a bilingual job for Bank of America, my daughter Veronica and her husband were introduced to, Christian, to a Christian couple in her community who witnessed of their faith in Christ, Jesus Christ alone. This couple invited my daughter to the church where she was exposed to the truth of the word of God. The Lord brought my daughter to salvation and Veronica eventually began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. I spent a great deal of time with my daughter asking questions and thinking about all she was telling me. I could see the changes in Veronica's life and I admire her a lot. Another two decades or so passed, but God did not let me go. While walking at Rollins Lake a few years ago, God put two women from this church into my path who invited me to the church. Where I, um, I politely told them one of these days, but I never got around to it. Later, I met a man and his wife from this church at the local gym who began to talk to me about the gospel and the differences between Catholicism and Christianity. They too invited me to church and I finally went. Since then I have learned salvation is not just believing in the church. Salvation is knowing Christ and what he did for me. I've learned the gospel the right way. Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus died for me on the cross in my place for my sins. He also lived for me. He was born 
and live a sinless life in my place, a righteous life I could not live. So I'm a sinner, I trust in Christ, and God now accepts me, and I will make me a perfect one. It will make me perfect one day. Jesus told us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I believe this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And in obedience to him, I want to be baptized today. Thank you. McKenna Booth. I grew up in a loving Christian family with parents who taught me about Jesus Christ and gave me some good examples to follow. I hung out with friends who also grew up in Christian families. When I was younger, I knew that God was our Father in heaven and that He loved me. I also knew that God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and that there was heaven and hell and I was going to one when I died. Even though I knew who God was, I barely thought about him. I only thought about Christ when I went to church or when my parents would read the missionary books or the Bible to my brother and I when we were younger. What I valued most was seeing my friends and not usually paying attention to Christ and did not really read my Bible. I was awakened to my need for salvation by a number of circumstances God brought into my life. I also began paying attention to the sermons at church, taking it in and seeing what I needed to change about how I was. What I mean by listening to the sermons is instead of fooling around and watching the time, wanting it to go by fast so that I could have more time to hang out with friends after church. I really listened and learned. Also, I needed to change how I acted towards Christ. The circumstances that opened my eyes to my need for my Savior were trials that I went through. One of these trials was when I lost my grandparents, and I was angry with Christ. I didn't think that he was doing it for good, and I wasn't trusting in him. Through these trials, it shows how sovereign the Lord is, and that through these trials, good will come out of it through his love and power. That nothing is out of his control, and all he does is for our good, even if it's hard. He uses trials to grow our faith and cling to him. I have been learning not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, to, be made known to God. Philippians 4.6 I realize that without Christ, I am nothing, and that through my repentance of my sins and receiving of salvation, I can be saved through Christ. Also that I am not perfect, and only God is perfect. I see that my real need was to please God and follow him, repent my sins, and give my life to Christ. I also needed, need to grow my relationship with the Lord, pleasing and following him. I now realize that I can never pay my debt or live a life good enough for God to receive me. Jesus lived that perfect life without sin so that I could be righteous in him and have my debt paid by him because he died on the cross for my sins. First Peter 2.24 says of Jesus that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed.
but that my real need was not to please myself in all that I did and not to be at war with Christ. My, my need was not to believe that going to church on Sundays and listening to sermons once a week was good enough and praying only because the rest of my family did before meals and other times was enough prayer. My life is very different now and I want to be a follower of Christ and I want to glorify him in all that I do. I want to turn from my sinful ways and be a servant of Jesus Christ and trust in him through everything. My desires now are to obey and listen to Christ in all that is to come in the future. A difficult area of obedience is trusting that Jesus is in control over everything that goes on. But through these areas, I have to remember that he is in control and he does everything for good. I used to live in doing what I wanted and sinning against my parents, even if I knew that I meant going against Christ. But now I want to turn from my ways and go towards Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Today I'm being baptized in obedience to the Lord and to make my faith in Jesus public. My name is Lucy and this is my testimony. I had a religious upbringing. My family is Christian. I went to a Christian church and I hung around Christian friends sometimes. My former church was great, but there was nobody around my age that I felt comfortable talking to about serious conversations or relating to. And then there were friends at school. I had this group of friends that were good people and didn't do anything terrible. This was sixth grade. Then came seventh grade and everything changed. This new girl came in and had a big influence on me and the other girls. They started talking about things that even adults shouldn't be talking about, let alone 12 and 13 year olds. I was first awakened by noticing the changes in my friends and me. I started doing certain things I wouldn't do around my parents, and my friends were going downhill as well. I knew that if I continued that way, I would get deeper and deeper into sin. Also, I saw the difference between me and the people my same age acted at Foothill Christian Fellowship. They made me look like an immature idiot. They showed me how much knowledge I was lacking and how I should be as a true Christian. They showed me that just being raised in a Christian home wasn't enough to make the cut to get into heaven. The teenagers knew so much about the Bible and about God and Jesus Christ, I felt stupid. That made me want to learn more so I could keep up with them. So I started going to Adventure Club, TAG, and regularly attending FCF. The more I listened to lessons from the various teachers here, the more I started realizing the flaws in myself and the importance of who I spent time with. It was like the prodigal son. At first, he thought his life was great, it was going smoothly, and he was getting what he wanted. But then in Luke 15, 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? At first, I was like the prodigal. When I was following sinful desires, my life seemed almost perfect. But then I started seeing how much I had changed and how much farther I had gotten from God. I knew then that I couldn't get through life on my own. I realized that I needed Jesus Christ to get me out of my selfish ways and help me in this earthly life. He saved me from my old, own evil desires and brought me to godly and Christ-like desires instead. Christ opened my eyes and made me realize how far astray Satan can lead me. Jesus saved me by dying on the cross to take God's wrath that I rightly deserved away. Christ buried my sins so deep that they can never be found. He saved me from eternal torment in the lake of fire. He made my unrighteous self righteous. He forgave me and gave me confidence that I will eternally live with him. 
Christ has truly done a lot in my life. He turned me away from my old, rebellious, ungodly ways and turned me to his perfect, righteous way. Now my close friends are religious, and I can talk to them about the gospel in serious conversations. I have also learned a ton more about the Bible. My desires are now to grow in Christ, get baptized, and repent of my sins. I used to believe in worldly views and ideas, but now I believe in heavenly views and things not of this world. My growth in following the Lord with my life over the past 16 years of and a half of my existence has been very eventful, and I'm glad I can share it with all of you guys. I was born and raised up for six years in Grass Valley, and then after my parents split, my mom remarried and moved to Weimar, and right around that time I started attending Foothill. I attended a homeschool program in Grass Valley that consisted of mostly Christian families, and I made a few friends there, as well as many friends at Foothill. On the weeks I was with my dad, my grandparents took me to church down in Grass Valley where I made Christian friends as well, and a lot of these friends are still my greatest friends to this day, and I'm really grateful for that. In almost all these places, I learned about Jesus and what he did for us, and I believed it. Jesus came down to earth, he humbled himself to human form, and he lived a perfect life without any sin. And then through his forgiveness, he humbled himself to die on a cross, and then through that forgiveness, he... He took all of our sin on that cross, and in return, we get his righteousness. Through that, we get to go to heaven if we repent of our sins and follow him for our lives. For the most part, my friends were Christian, but for me, I never really understood what was wrong in my life. I could tell something was off in my faith. I thought I wasn't doing enough. I went to Awana's church, and I thought that was enough to be called a Christian. I wanted to go to heaven, and I believed that Jesus saved me, but reading my Bible felt like a chore. I didn't really want to commit to a whole life commitment, but I still had a feeling that I wasn't doing enough. But then the problem was, I, it wasn't that I was doing, wasn't doing enough, because works don't get you into heaven. Faith does. The problem was that I was living my life for me, trying to find pleasure in the things of this world, especially revolving around screens watched hours of YouTube and played so many games to the point where my head actually physically hurt and my brain was just numb. It just wasn't fun and my brain was, I was telling myself, this isn't fun, you got to get off this, you could be doing something so much more productive, but my body just would not stop. I had no control and that was something I needed to grow in. But that, a lot of this changed over the summer. This past July, I went to a Christian youth conference in Oregon with a youth group I attended Grass Valley. The conference was primarily focused on teaching us about parables. On the third night, one of the speakers talk, started talking about finding true riches and value in Christ. And she brought up a time when the rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew 19. The man said that he had kept all the commandments, but he wanted to know what else he needed to do to get into heaven. And Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The man heard this, and he went away sad, because he was rich in wealth and property. And Jesus said that it is easier for the rich man to enter, it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Now, I'm making minimum wage at not even 10 hours a week at a grocery store, so I might get to Ritz someday, 
but I don't need to worry about that. And I realized that that wasn't the only problem in this man's life. He was, and like, like him, I was too focused on the worldly objects in my life that made me happy, and I had prioritized them over my relationship with the Lord, and that needed to stop. So I changed. I started reading my Bible more. I really tried to pay attention in church, and I just, I understand it now. I had never really understood how my mom and my stepdad had such a joy following the Lord with their lives, but now I share that same joy, and I am ready to continue to live my life with Jesus, not only as my Savior, but as the Lord over my life. Growing up, my family and my close friends were all Christians and churchgoers, so that was how I was raised. I've been going to church since I was young and never really thought much about it. I was learning about Jesus and the Bible from such an early age that nothing else really seemed to differ from that at the age I was at, since I was surrounded with friends and family who believed one thing. It was my great-grandmother that really sparked the feeling of this is what I'm going to believe at those young ages putting all of her time into teaching me and my cousins about what Jesus taught and what the Bible says. I was so young then, but I do somewhat remember when I first asked the Lord into my heart, being around seven in my room with my mom, and growing up after that, it really just seemed to be my life. It wasn't until I spent years being told the same thing that I was really able to realize what, that I was being accepted into the kingdom of God, if I repent and believe. Some of the words that it, some of some words that stuck with me that I heard at a youth conference over this last summer were, when you repent, God will embrace you. When you turn towards God, he will welcome you. It was from not only these words, but also Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gay, that I realized I had someone fighting for me, and I had a purpose in my life that this someone had created me for. I have been able to see and understand that Christ, who was my life, who, oh, that Christ was who my life should be lived for, and that God is welcoming me into his arms. I saw that my real need was not just to repent and then go straight back into sinning again and again, but that it was really to repent and believe and live my life for Christ. Christ has been an aspect of my life for as long as I can remember, and I used to just live in the mindset and lifestyle that it was just my parents' religion or just how I grew up. But now I understand that Christianity is not a family religion, but a personal relationship between me and Christ, and he is the one that I trust in, and that there is the Father waiting for me, teaching me, showing me where I'm falling short, and showing me what I can do through, to get, through him to get back up. First Timothy 1.15 is a good verse that shows what Christ has done for me. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Christ lived a perfect life for us to be the substitute for us on the cross. He was the substitute because he loved us. Romans 6.23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord. My name is Alora. I'm here to fulfill God's commandment to be baptized and to tell you what he has done in my life. 
I've grown up in a Christian family in this church. I was taught about God and all the right things to do, but none of that knowledge could save me. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Those of you who know me probably think of me as a pretty good kid, but I know that my heart is not good. It is full of pride, selfishness, and anger. Psalm 14, 1 says, None is righteous, no, not one. Growing up in this church, a lot of my friends are in Christian families. I've always been a part of VBS, Children's Church, and other church activities. But one day I asked myself why. I realized that it wasn't that I wanted to grow as a Christian and learn more, but that I wanted to be with my friends, wanted to get out of other things, or to make myself look better. The approval of man was more important to me than the approval of God. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says, If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I realized that I was serving man and myself instead of desiring to please Christ. I knew that I was created by God and that I should have a relationship with him, but my sin was preventing me from having a right relationship with him. Nothing I could do would earn me favor with God. Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. I needed the righteousness of Jesus to stand before the holy God. Jesus is the son of God, fully God and fully man. He came down to earth and lived a perfect life. He died for my sin on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again. Because of his death on the cross in my place, God forgave my sins and I can have an eternal relationship with him. God is growing me more and more as I pursue this relationship. He's helping me to love others and practice selflessness. And the Holy Spirit is helping me to understand scripture more and to be able to help younger kids understand the Bible at Adventure Club. I used to be more focused on schoolwork than my daily Bible reading, but I have been working on it and have gotten much better at prioritizing my Bible reading. And the more I do it, the more I want to do it, and the more I get to know God. I'm encouraged to see growth in myself day by day. I hope that you will pray for my spiritual growth. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, 2. A few weeks ago at Adventure Club, Alan asked, Why are you a Christian? I am a Christian because I know that I am a sinner and I can't accomplish anything on my own. God is my creator. He sent Christ to save me from my sins, and I want to be like Christ, to glorify him and to be with him forever. This is why I am a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home with my parents. All my growing up um, taught me the word of God. They, um, in school, my mom and dad would write Bible papers that we would fill out every day, ask questions. We would read a book of the Bible, and we would answer questions on what we read, and um, that was school. Um, growing up, I knew that I was a sinner and that um, I needed to repent and put my faith in Christ, but I never really thought too much about it, and I thought I'd get around to it. 
I would come to church here and listen to a sermon, but not really pay attention and just go home. Uh, one day I came home from work and I was talking with my dad and he asked me if I, uh, if I was saved. I told him I really hadn't thought about it much. He proceeded to explain to me the gospel and that I needed to get right with God. After that, I prayed and asked God to forgive my sins, and uh, but didn't really think anything about it again. Until we were studying the signs of a, being a believer in summer tag, we weekly worked through signs uh, of being a true believer, uh, such as uh, a believer is hungry for the word of God, they are to be continual in prayer, and they are not to be of this world. These began to convict me. Here I was claiming to be a Christian, but outside of church, I was not living like it. This caused me to question if I was genuinely saved. I turned to the word and began studying what it meant to be born again. This showed me that I was a sinner and deserved to go to hell. There was no way that I, in my own strength, could make my life, clean up my life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For great grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he cried, he, Christ died for us. This is the great exchange where Jesus takes all my sins on him on the cross and gives me his perfect righteousness. Christ has changed my desires. Before, I spent most of my time working or on my phone or doing something that didn't really matter. Now the Lord has given me the desire to tell others what he has done in my life. I struggled with putting work aside so that I had time to study and pray. And he has put the desire in me to do that, not just on Sunday, but consistently throughout the week. I am here today to tell you what Christ has done in my life and declare my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and baptism. What a joy to hear of Jesus' saving work in so many lives.